Welcome to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast presented by Dean Duplessis. We bring you up to date with all the ongoing fixtures domestically and on the international scene. We profile players, both current and former, and tell you all you need to know in the world of cricket. A very warm welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. I'm Dean Duplessis. Great to be with you. Hope you are having a good time and all the South African fans, I sincerely hope that you've recovered from yet another disappointing exit for the Proteas. So uh, certainly from that uh, perspective, very disappointing. But if you are a supporter of the Dutch, you will still be jumping up and down for joy because uh, although things certainly didn't go as planned in terms of getting through to the semi-finals, but uh, the Netherlands certainly ended their campaign on a real high, absolutely fantastic stuff for them. All right then, so um, we have a Zimbabwean born and bred batsman on the podcast today. Well, he moved across to the UK at the age of 16 years old. He's played for the county's Somerset, but he now plays for Glamorgan. And he's back in Zimbabwe having uh, a little bit of fun with the Midwest Rhinos, one of Zimbabwe's domestic franchises. I'm, of course, referring to Eddie Byram, who I caught up with uh, and had a very, very enjoyable conversation with. Here's Eddie Byram. Eddie, absolute joy to be talking to you. First of all, welcome back. How's it, what's it like to be back in your, your birth land? <laughs> it is amazing, Dean. You know, every time I come back here, I'm just, it just feels like home, and it is home to me. Um, although I've made a second home in the UK now, um, coming back is always special, and I've really enjoyed my time so far. And of course, uh, a nice, uh, you kind of hit the ground running because uh, arriving in a country you recorded your your first list A50, if I have that correct, and then yeah. also getting through to the finals of the uh, One Day Cup, losing narrowly to uh, what I understand was a very, very good game of cricket down in Kwekwe as well. Yes. Yeah, no, it was a great game. And uh, I've really settled in well with the Rhinos team. And disappointingly, I didn't get any runs in the final, didn't really contribute too much. But the way that we fought out in the backstages of that game was amazing and uh, the momentum we had at the back end it just seemed so certain that we were going to win and uh, Donald Tiripana really bowled a great over and great uh, few closing balls to see the Mountaineers home and uh, yeah shattered our hopes right at the end. And a great crowd down at Quick with Sports Club as well I believe. It was amazing um, you know the noise that the fans were making was incredible they were shouting from, from the get-go, really, and as the day went on and, and a few beers were sunk, they got louder and louder. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for there to be such a tense finish as well just made the whole atmosphere amazing. You've only been here for a short time, so I suppose you wouldn't really be able to um, give me a comprehensive answer. But some of the players that you've played with at the Rhinos and some that you've played against playing the franchises, is, um, do you see a fair amount of potential there, especially with some of the younger players? I do. Uh, some of them I've played with since I was quite small, particularly Brandon Mabuta. Um, I really hope he gets his chance for Zimbabwe again. I think he deserves it. He's bowled incredibly well uh, in this tournament, top wicket taker by some margin, I think, by 10 or so wickets. Yes. Um, and, you know, he seems to really have his head screwed on well now, and, and he's just got that X factor about him. I've really believed in Brandon ever since I was young and 
uh, maybe had too much too soon uh, and maybe wasn't quite ready for international cricket when he had his go. But I think he really is now. And I, I think he's probably one that, you know, I hope really gets a go for Zim again. And uh, Tash Musakiwa, uh, down the order, he can strike a mean ball. Uh, and I think Anna's fielding is just amazing. He's electric in the field. Uh, and for such a young man, the way he can strike a ball, I would be very surprised if at some point he didn't play for Zimbabwe really? uh, in the future. So those two have been standouts for me, uh, which is great to see. And, you know, the way that Zim cricket is at the moment, you know, there's, there's that incentive for guys to push harder and play for the national team. Yeah, it's been a bit of a bittersweet symphony for, for the, the national side because getting through to the Super 12s, I know Coach Dave Houghton was adamant that that was going to happen, but as he also said to me, saying one thing and doing another, you know, they're two very different things. Um, I, look, I mean, I haven't spoken to anybody from the, the national side yet, but I would imagine there'd be huge amounts of disappointment in the fact that it, it just seemed, and I'd like to hear your opinion, the way I was looking in front as an outsider, it just seemed as if after beating Pakistan, the Chevrons ran out of, they ran out of fuel and ran out of steam. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think the kind of intensity in the game against uh, Bangladesh and then the Netherlands in particular, I think was just lacking. Um, you know, T20 cricket is fast paced, it's intense. You have to turn up and be on it from ball one. The Bangladesh game was such a close one, and I think that made it even more, you know, just... I think the guys were really down after that. Uh, yeah. yeah. For, the, for the Netherlands game. But in saying that, I think the bunch of cricketers there are really showing that that group is capable of great things. And although they didn't maybe get as much out of the tournament as they would have wanted, particularly after beating Pakistan, uh, they've really represented the country well um, and I think they've shown the world as have a lot of smaller nations I guess you could call them or lesser fancy nations at a World Cup um, that they deserve more international cricket against the so-called big teams um, causing upsets like that is is great and you know the way that the team has performed and and the Glimpses of, of great cricket that they've shown in other games. I think they're demanding a lot of, of the ICC and of other teams. Of course, your second home, as you've alluded to when you refer to England, they are now through to the semi-finals. Now, a lot of the players you would have also played against at county level. Yeah. Um, what is that like? I mean, I, I would imagine the majority of the players, actually, you would have, with your, in your stint with, with Somerset and yeah. now the bit of time that you've had with Glamorgan, uh, have you interacted with those players and what is it like playing against them and sharing a drink with them afterwards? Yeah, and I've played against most of them. I think uh, when you're young, it's just the most incredible thing. You know, obviously seeing these guys on TV and then the next thing you're just out there in the middle with them. Uh, it's, yeah, amazing. But I think over time, when you play more and more, you kind of just gain the realisation that they are just people. They're just regular humans, good at their job. Um, and when I was quite young, I was quite scared to go and talk to them and ask for advice because they just seemed like distant superstars that I'd never get to play against or be, you know, be in the sphere of. And now that I'm older, more experienced, more comfortable, and I realise they are just people that I'm, you know, taking the chance to talk to them and share a beer with them and 
and that's great. So I'm very comfortable and um, you know around those big names, and and it's great to just be able to play against them and learn from them. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine you, the the experience that you have now actually bought here to Zimbabwe, just from interacting with those players and the fact that you can now share your knowledge with the younger players of the Rhinos and. Um, even not so, you know, not really the younger players, everybody in the Rhinos. I mean, you're never too old to, to learn and you're never too old to uh, experience something different. But mm. the, the five years that you've now had of playing county cricket, I imagine has put you in, in very good stead. I better ask this question, Eddie, because if I don't, I know it will not go well for me. Um, <laughs> you're back here in Zimbabwe. When you looked and you saw the vulnerability so there's potential, but at the moment that top order of Zimbabwe is very vulnerable. Mm. Has that not on the odd occasion crossed your mind where you would say to yourself, gosh, you know, if I could be a part of that, I'm a left-hander, you can bat me wherever you, you feel that I need to be it in the top or the middle order. You know, Craig Irvin, Sean Williams and Sekunda Raza aren't getting any younger, but if I can come in here as a 25-year-old who has... Uh, five years of county experience and I've scored big hundreds playing for Somerset I can come in to the side not only can I can I add my weight and, and hopefully score runs that would win matches for Zimbabwe but the experience that I can bring to the side would be incredible for both me and and for the country has it not crossed your mind at all it has definitely crossed my mind yeah. Dean but in saying that you know years ago when I was 16 just a young kid I, I had to make a Quite a big decision uh, going to the UK. Um, obviously, growing up, I had the dream of playing for my home country. Um, and there's still definitely a part of me that would love that and think it would, in a cricketing sense, make me feel whole, like my career had, mm -hmm. had taken the path that maybe it was meant to at one point. Um, but I guess I made that decision because of the vulnerabilities of Zim cricket and the maybe shortcomings of how the tr uh, players were treated. At the time, there was a lot of player strikes going on because they weren't getting paid. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff going on that wasn't so professional. And I guess I had the, the option, luckily, to go and pursue a career in the UK. Uh, and I've been treated incredibly well there, been given all the opportunities I could have wished for. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to, you know, go back on, on all the good things that people have done for me there. So as it stands, my dream is to play for England now, um, particularly in test matches. I think that is, you know, the one format that I kind of see myself excelling in at the moment in first-class cricket. So I'm trying to push a name for myself there. Um, I guess it's never say never. Um, you never know how things can change. and. And maybe that want to play for Zim will, will grow as time goes on. Um, certainly still there. You know, playing for your home country, that, that would just be amazing, you know. But as it stands, I'm very committed to trying to play for England. Well, you certainly are taking strides in the right direction and making that dream a, a very big possibility. And tell us about the, the, the hard work that goes in because obviously the standard of, of domestic cricket here in Zimbabwe, it, 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 it never has been as good as, for example, county cricket or, you know, state, yeah. state cricket or any of that nature. I mean, they have time. I understand sometimes the cricketers who have come here have said that although it's not as high, but it is a good standard. But now 
the work ethic that you have to put in because you now play for Glamorgan, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So just just tell us about the the work ethic that you put in leading up to the county season uh, and the stuff that you do behind the scenes that we are not aware of in keeping yourself mentally fit and focused as you approach the new season. Yeah, well, I think the just going back to when I moved there, mm. the academy coaches there are terrific. They really put hours and hours of, of work into the academy boys and they really, my coach over there, Steve Snell, really toughened me up and got me ready for first class cricket. Um, and I guess when you do make it to that professional level, there's all the supporters there that you need and it's kind of a little bit more player led in the sense that you get out of a pre-season or off-season, whatever you need to get out. You know, so for me, I'm probably trying to, well, I'm playing now, but when I can on my off days, I'm trying to go and hit balls. I've got things that I want to work on for the winter. Those plans get discussed at the end of the season. So Glamorgan sat me down or Somerset would sit me down and we'd go through certain things that I needed to work on. Uh, thing, you know, specific ways I would get out most often and, and have a, kind of a plan going forward in the winter when I did have those training sessions, certain things that I, w I would work on that were specific to me. Um, and I think that it's great to come out to Zim because there's a great balance between playing and training. Uh, you know, you're not playing non-stop like we are in the UK. You know, it's quite tough to bring new things into your game when you're playing so often in the UK. Whereas here, I feel like there's a great balance for me to play and then have enough time to train to, to work on new things, bring, bring new things into my game. Alongside that, it's, you know, gym three or four days a week. Um, and our S&C kind of leads that and gives us programs to do. Um, and by the time March comes around, hopefully we're in a great place to, to go into the season. A lot of the county sides tour the Caribbean. I mean, so 20 or 30 years ago, they actually used to come here to Zimbabwe as well. Yeah. We've had some great county sides here, and I understand that there's no reason why that obviously won't, won't resume, which would be fantastic for everybody. Yeah. Uh, is that something that, that Glamorgan likes to do as well? Do you also go on the pre-season tours like to the Caribbean or to, uh, to the UAE and so on? Yeah, so I think the pre-season tours I've been on have been to Abu Dhabi, uh, to Spain, uh, but actually, I think there's three counties at the moment that are murmured to be coming out here for pre-season. Yeah. Uh, Glamorgan, I hear Middlesex and Durham. Whether that's confirmed or not, I'm not too sure. Uh, but I think now that Dave has taken over the Zim side, I know that he's got good friendships and relationships with coaches in England. Uh, and Derbyshire and Durham did come out here in that COVID year yes. that cut them short. So I think it would be a great place for pre-season to be had for counties. There's a lot on offer here. So I think, you know, this, this year or next year, sorry, in March, if those three counties come out and it's run well, it's done well, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if you didn't see more come out in the following years. Um, and that's what's great about cricket, you know, you get to travel the world and see different places. And my good friend, Kieran Carlson, he's out here at the moment from Glamorgan with me and, and loving his time. So, you know, it's great to travel the world and see new places. Again, it would be a new experience for English people to come to, I guess, African conditions. Yeah. 
Um, so hopefully that does go ahead and those relationships are resumed. I can tell you somebody who obviously was a great servant of, of uh, Glamorgan cricket, Steve James. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he loved it so much when he used to come out here that he ended up playing a number of years for uh, Universals and he also played for Mashonaland. Yeah. James Kirtley as well played a lot of cricket for Mashonaland and for Old Georgians. Oh. Um, Jonathan Agnew, uh, very well known, I'm sure you know the name, radio commentator. Yes. He had quite a few seasons for Alex Sports Club. So, oh. uh, and I, again, it's what these players, what the knowledge and, and experience and everything else that they're able to hand down to the younger players, which is of the utmost importance for the growth and the development of Zimbabwe cricket to get sure. that little bit of international flavor. Sure. Yeah, yeah I guess, you know, uh, the Rhinos team isn't too young. There are a lot of <laughs> old horses there, but you're right. You never stop learning. And it's not just about me passing on things that I know. You know, you still talk to the older guys at the Rhinos. I'm sure they know a thing or two that I don't mm. and that I, I need to take into my game. So it works both ways. But um, it is nice for me to come back to my roots and to help some of the players because, you know, I do care about Zimbabwe cricket. Uh, I do watch passionately and, and cheer on the runs and wickets. Um, so it's nice to, in a way, give back something. Now, obviously, the, the, the one innings that stands out for me that you played for Somerset would have been the Bob Willis Trophy final yeah. in 20, was that 2020? Yeah, 2020, yeah. yeah. Um, just talk us through that innings because you started off in pretty difficult conditions at Lords as you yeah. approached the end of the season. I think the ball was nipping around quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and you got through that and, and played some amazing strokes. I watched every single run that you scored, by the oh, way. Wow. <laughs> every single run. Um, <laughs> Would I say that in your re relatively young career, that would be one of the big highlights? Definitely. I think, especially considering it was a final. Uh, and in a sense, actually, I was quite lucky to play. Uh, in the, T20, the end of the T20 tournament um, of that year, I, there was a mix-up between me and uh, a Somerset legend, James Hildreth, uh, who I think now holds the most runs for Somerset ever. Um, and so I ran him out and in the process he did his hamstring. Mm. So he was down uh, as always to bat number four but because there was a mix-up between us and I ran him out, he does, did his hamstring, I ended up batting number four in the final. So you know it was a bit of luck and that I was even playing and I guess I made the most of it. It was tough conditions at Lord's and there was a lot of rain around, we were coming on and off. So I had to kind of start again all too often, <laughs> um, more often than I would have liked. Um, and I guess, you know, that was my first championship 100. I'd got a few first class ones uh, before, but that was my first championship one. And to get it in a final uh, against, I guess, the best bowling attack in the country at Lords, which was, you know, doing a bit, um, it was very special. But, of course, there was no crowds in at that time, mm, so yeah. um, it was sad in a way that my dad wasn't able to be there. Um, but, you know, I think he would have, he probably deserves to have been there, but uh, as it happened, he wasn't. But, you know, my teammates were cheering me on and it was amazing. Tell us a bit about your dad. Dads, uh, you know, for those people who are fortunate enough to have good and kind loving fathers, it's, I think it's a thing of pure beauty. Now, 
I know that your dad um, was a was a journalist in his time when he was younger, yeah. and I. But I also know that he has been very instrumental and influential in shaping who you are and what it is that that you do. But just just tell us how. Uh, important and how good he has been for you. Yeah, no, he's been amazing. Um, you know, the amount of balls that he's thrown to me has been endless. We had a little cricket net in our garden and at early hours of the morning before school as the sun was rising, I'd get him out of bed and he'd willingly, you know, do that and throw balls at me. Uh, when I got home from rugby or even home from cricket, you know, we'd just throw more balls and and you know his arm probably fell off a few times from throwing so many balls. <laughs> he was always there to watch my matches, um, but I think most importantly, he never pushed me. Um, he never got me to go and hit balls. It was always the fact that he was always there. He would drop his work because he often worked from home. He would often drop his work or whatever he was doing to make sure that. Um, I got what I needed for my cricket, which I was always so passionate about from a young age. Um, and I just would never, would never be where I am without him. You know, obviously I would, I've had to put in the work, I suppose, and have the desire and the want to do what I've done. But you, or you need support and people around you to, you know, make your dreams come true. And he's probably been the most influential, he's been amazing. Yeah, I can relate to that. I've always said my dad was my number one supporter and biggest fan. Yeah. So I, I can relate to that. Um, and I guess we have been very fortunate that, that our dads watched us progress in our various, in our various genres and our various fields, yeah. you know, and, and that we've been very blessed to have them around for as, as long as what we have. Um, and, and the move the move to England, you, as you said, at the age of 16 years old, you decided that, look, this is, this is what I'm going to be doing. Now, how did that come about? Uh, well, I guess I'd kind of flirted with the idea of potentially moving to England. I knew uh, that cricket was something that I wanted to make a career out of. Uh, and I had, had an Irish passport, luckily, as my granddad was born and raised in Ireland. Um, and a good family friend of ours who lives in Exeter, he was actually at a, a rugby dinner function which with um, what turned out to be my director of sport at my new school in England. And he mentioned me, he said that, you know, I was looking at potentially coming over to England. Um, and so we got in contact with the school, a school that a lot of good cricketers had come through particularly, uh, or namely, Joss Butler. Mm. Um, so I knew it was a great cricketing school. So we got in contact with them, and as a conversation progressed between my parents and the school, it happened very quickly. Um, and probably within two or three weeks of contacting them, over Christmas, I went over for, a, I guess, a, an interview with the headmaster and the head coach of cricket. And I was luckily then offered a scholarship to the school and I started the following September. Um, so, you know, without the school providing me the support that they have as well, again, you know, there's so many people who really helped me in, in making my journey possible. King's College was certainly one of them, and I yeah, owe a lot to them. 
Yeah, I mean, but it must have been quite difficult for you because you you just that 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 in between age, aren't you? Where you're old enough to to make these choices, but you you're still uh, sort of afraid to 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 um, leave the nest, so to speak, you know, or yeah. the comfort zone, which which was Zimbabwe, regardless of. Um, the uncertainties that you may have had about Zimbabwe cricket, but it was still a comfort zone and, and the environment that you knew mm. was still a comfort zone. So um, I'd imagine a few very deep breaths were taken before you actually decided to embark on that journey. Definitely. And I yeah. think going to the school um, before to just meet the headmaster and have a look at the school kind of probably calmed me down a little bit to know that I was going to a really good place and I was going to be lo looked after really well. Um, but in saying that, you're right. Um, you know what you know, and that's comfortable. Yeah. And I could have easily just stayed. And also, I'd never been to boarding school. Um, you know, it was always a, a home um, a day, day scholar. Yeah. So, you know, mum and dad dropped me off and picked me up every day from school. Never done a day of boarding school in my life. So that was quite a daunting experience to know that once I got over there, you know, I didn't have that support network of my parents, my, my, my friends and my sister. Uh, it was all gone in an instant and you have to start afresh, which in a way is refreshing and in a way it's very scary. Um, but ultimately, uh, my dream of playing professional cricket pushed that to the side and, and I just cracked on. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Um, so tell us about some of the players who you are with now at Glamorgan. You know, um, a lot of the a lot of the people sort of have fallen behind. I mean, I certainly remember Glamorgan for for Steve James, and then later on, uh, Murray Goodwin. After his long, long stint with Sussex, he had a bit of game time with Glamorgan, sure. Jacques Rudolph. So who are? But obviously, none of these players play anymore. So tell us about some of the players that may be familiar to people back here in Zimbabwe who they may have come across on their, their TVs or their yeah. uh, live stream um, facilita facilities? Yeah, well, Colin Ingram's been uh -huh. great. Uh, obviously, he played for South Africa for a number of years, and uh, he's been around a lot of T20 tournaments around the world. Um, and again, you know, these, these superheroes of yours growing up, when you meet them, they're just all too often great people. And Colin is, is no exception to that. He's just an amazing human, has so much time for young people. And he's really been someone that I've sort of clung on to, Morgan being that African connection, I guess, mm. and just, you know, the kindest person. Uh, we also were lucky enough to have Shubman Gill over as our overseas. Oh, wow. Um, which was great to, to play with him as well. Ajaz Patel, who famously took 10 wickets in an innings against India, yeah, yeah. playing with him was great. Um, I guess uh, well, Tim van der Guten playing for the Netherlands at the moment at the World Cup hasn't really had a, a fair crack, but he's also with us. Um, we've got a really solid team. Also, I guess he hasn't played for England, but probably one of the most unlucky people to have not played for England is Sam Northeast and oh yes again this season he had a great season he he got his uh, top score of 401 and became one of very few people to get 400 in first class cricket so he's also been someone who I've looked to to for knowledge and to learn from 
and then uh, Matt Maynard as, as our head coach, who obviously played for England for a while, and his knowledge of batting is amazing. Uh, you know, he's someone that I really trust. When I'm struggling for form or for advice, I know that I can go to him and he's going to have really good, solid, actionable advice. So I've really loved having him as head coach. He was actually my first coach at Somerset when I started. So we've got a great connection and relationship as well. So, yeah, no, really enjoying my time there. I remember Matt Maynard making his debut against Australia in the Ashes of 1993 <laughs> and um, playing some beautiful strokes. A very fine coach. I remember him also taking care of the South African franchise, the Titans, yes, uh, yeah. for a number of years. And, and he was actually there when Faf Duplessis made his international, his test debut. Right. And uh, Matt Maynard had actually been pushing for that for some time. Um, just for those who may be a bit confused, I'd like you just to explain the difference. You spoke about that you'd scored first-class hundreds, but you hadn't scored a championship hundred. Now, just obviously, I understand the system, but you play there. So just explain to those who may be thinking, what on earth is it, what is the difference between a first-class hundred <laughs> and a championship hundred? Well, um, so the first-class hundreds that I had before was one in Zim, uh, which was my first one which would have been a Logan Cup 100. Against the Tuskers? Against the Tuskers. My next one, I th from memory, was against the Cardiff University team, the right. MCCU team. Um, and then I had one robbed from me when I played against Ireland the week before they played their first test. But they wanted to play 12 players, so they, it wasn't classed as a first-class game, professional first-class game. Right. I've robbed of one there. <laughs> But then my next one then came in uh, the championship, which is the English domestic first class tournament. Um, because it was the COVID year, it was renamed to the Bob Willis Trophy. Uh, but essentially a, a championship 100 would be one against a, a county mm. team. And how amazing, isn't it, that that first championship 100 that you got, I mean, there couldn't have been anything better than, than scoring it in a final. You know, it's not, it wasn't like halfway through the season. You, you, it's, it's a real winner-takes-all situation for, for your county, and, yeah. and that's where you got your 100. Yeah, and I really struggled for form, actually, before that. Uh, I started the season opening the batting, and, you know, the coaches dropped me down a few times in the order. And then again, I said I was lucky to play in that game. But then the week leading up to the final, because I'd been in some poor form and there was a few batting technicals I was working on at the time, which were a little bit different to me, things that I'd changed and were reasonably big changes. But that week before the final, because I wasn't feeling my best, I decided I was going to go back to what I felt worked for me when I was younger. So I went back to a bit of an old technique. Um, and it just kind of straight away, even in the nets before the game, I could have said I was going to score runs because I just felt like myself again. I just felt good. I felt like I was hitting the ball well, like I was defending well. And I just took that confidence into the game, even though I hadn't scored runs previously. I just had that belief because I'd gone back to an old technique, something that I knew and trusted. And, and away I went. That's, that's quite remarkable. It's lovely to hear stories like that, you know, where 
you, you kind of almost at your wits end and then you say to yourself, right, this is what I'm going to do because this is what works for me. And the successes that you, or the rewards that you reap from, from that uh, are obviously incredibly special. Yeah. Ed, as we conclude, what are, what, what are your thoughts on the current state of cricket? So us older, slightly older people, you know, I mean, obviously, I, test cricket is everything to me. Yeah. Um, as much as I understand that, I suppose the way that we want cricket to grow will have to be through the various T20 leagues and yeah. it frightens me and it worries me because I'm so scared that the integrity of test cricket is going to be severely damaged and that players may not make themselves available for their countries opting to rather play in the leagues around the world as opposed to representing their countries. It, it worries me as a, as a lover of the sport. And What are your thoughts on where cricket is going? Uh, yeah, I disagree a little bit, Dean, in the way that I think Test Cricket definitely still has a future. Lovely. Um, I say that as long as 50-over cricket becomes extinct. I think 50-over cricket will be the format that will have to fade into the background. Um, I think from a playing point of view and from a spectator's point of view, people love the contrast. And I guess if you would ask players what format they would most want to win, uh, I'd say you'd have a resounding majority, say the championship, the four-day stuff. Yeah. The, you know, the toil and hard work that goes into winning that cannot be replaced by the smash and dash of T20 cricket. It never can. So I think from a player's point of view, there will always be the want for that contrast. And so, I know there's two more World Cups lined up for 50 over cricket. Uh, in a way, I think that's a mistake. Maybe there can be one more. But I think as long as 50 over cricket fades into the background, becomes extinct, you will have test cricket still being treated the way it should. And then, play, and then there'll be still more time for people to be able to play for their country in test matches and T20 internationals and not be overburdened by uh, one-day internationals in their schedule, I think it'll work a lot better. And, and so basically you, you then have a, a very clear-cut um, idea as to what you as a player want to focus on as well, I suppose. Definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there has been over the years the evolution of cricket from, oh, gee, I, I think they played 10-day games when they first started or, or endless games yeah. until the game was finished. Um, and then in came, I think, Clive Lloyd's era. Was it Clive Lloyd, yeah. I think, from the West Indies? And yes. they played the first ever 50-over World Cup, from what I remember. It actually initially started off as 60-overs, believe it or not. 60-overs, yeah. yeah. And then, then it, it was whittled down to 50-overs. <laughs> yeah, and we had a, a phase of it being 40-overs in, in domestic That's cricket. That's right, yeah. Sunday a, League. Which, uh, which I think the players really enjoyed. But... I think with the way the schedules are so busy and, and money has become a thing with players and, and their loyalties to their countries and stuff, I think the obvious thing is for 50 over cricket to die out and for cricket to have a new kind of era of a contrast of cricket with test matches and T20s will still hold their place. 
So, Eddie, I'm going to, I'm going to do something very similar to what the BBC do. They have a, a, a program called Desert Island Discs. Um, yeah. We're going to now take you to an island, so to speak, where okay. you're going to have limited stuff to, uh, that, you can, uh, that you can have with you. All right. Uh, are you a book reader? Uh, not much. Not no. much. I so, won't pretend to be. Okay, no books in your, in your satchel. You're not going to have any books in your satchel. But in terms of music, surely you like a bit of music. I do love music. Right. So yeah. give me, off the top of your head, let's yeah. say, give me five songs that if you... So you not you obviously can't take your whole music library with you, even if it is on the various sure. live streaming apps. I'm afraid you are restricted to five songs. What okay. would they be? Uh, well, I think two from John Mayer would be Gravity and Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. Right. Um, I think probably Lost by Frank Ocean. Um, I think I'd have to have an Elvis number in there. My dad um, loved Elvis so much and uh, listened to a lot of Elvis growing up, so maybe Blue, Blue Suede Shoes would make its way in there. <laughs> um, or maybe Wise Men Say. He actually sung that to me the first minute of my birth. Is that so? So Wise Men Say might be in there. Um, and gee, a, a fifth one, maybe a, a Coldplay number of sorts. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, nothing yellow. wrong with Let's a bit go of Coldplay. Yellow. yellow. Okay, yeah. well, that was one of the the very big Coldplay songs for sure. Uh, yeah, well, it's got a good selection there, Eddie. Very yeah. good selection. Um, and. So, so we, we're wrapping up now, don't worry, I've taken enough of your time, but it's been an absolute joy and pleasure talking with you. Um, it, it really has. I mean, so I, I suppose just again for those, those Zimbabwe Chevron fans who kind of have a bit of hope that possibly maybe we may see you back here, what would you, what would you want to say to them? You know, I mean, it, it's a bit difficult because I suppose they understand that you would love to pursue your career and, yeah. and play as much test cricket as you can for England. You're not really going to get that here in Zimbabwe. Sure. You know, but what would you like to say to the fans who, who just have that little bit of hope? Um, well, I'd say never say never. Yeah. But I think that the current team as it stands, they really deserve the support that they're getting, which seems to be so amazing, actually. You can just see it on TV and from tweets and and different social media, you know, they, they really seem to be putting in effort for the fans and for the country, and I guess they deserve that support. But in your opinion, never say never. Never say never. Eddie Byram, it's been an absolute privilege and joy talking with you. Regardless of who you end up playing for, we wish you nothing but the very best, and thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Dean. You're listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Yes, indeed. What a joy it was to be talking to Eddie Byram. Goodness me, very humble and a very, very likable young man indeed. And we do wish him the very best for uh, whichever career he takes, be it playing for England or maybe coming back and playing for Zimbabwe. Hey, thank you very much indeed for listening to the podcast. It's been good being with you. And uh, if you'd uh, like to get in touch, maybe you'd even like to be involved in some form of sponsorship for the Dean at Stumps podcast. That would very much be appreciated. And you could reach out to me on my email address, which is deanduplicy 77 at icloud.com. It'll be great to hear from you. And of course, uh, please share the podcast far and wide and get as many cricket lovers to subscribe as possible. It's been great hanging out with you and uh, we'll be back again 
pretty soon with another really good interview. Until then, take care. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast, presented by Dean Duplessis. Join us again next week and catch up with all the action in the world of cricket.